0: Psalm 10. I'm gonna read one verse there. And uh let me can I wait till I get to the end of my introduction instead of doing it the first of the sermon? Will you allow me to do that today? Come on, I appreciate all your response already. Amen. There you go. Same dead crowd as dead crowd as last week. <laughs> Warm them up the best you can, Pastor. One dear lady told me I could take my coat off. So since she gave me permission, she was a preacher's wife, she knows what I'm supposed to do. So she said I could take it off, thank you dear lady. Uh, I, gotta, I gotta get myself organized. I'm having a hard time this morning for some reason. I'm looking at Psalm chapter 10, so let's take your Bible and turn to Psalm 10. And what we'll do, I'm going to read this in just a second, okay? By the way, how many of you ever noticed how many questions that kids can ask? You ever notice that? Holy mackerel. I had three daughters, and I'm not going to tell you which ones they were, but I had two of them that were talking machines, <laughs> talking machines. Asking questions, they were tremendous. I read something this week. Basically, there was a study done that moms are asked more questions in an hour than a teacher or a doctor. Research found that a four-year-old girl are the most curious asking 390 questions a day. That's averaging a question every one minute and 56 seconds. I remember we had one of them, the little one. (laughs) I won't won't tell you your name. You can do the math. She'd stick her face right here between her mother and I. Every once in a while, I'd take my shoulder like that, (laughs) uh, right on her forehead, push her back, say, now sit your butt on the chair. (laughs) She couldn't hear well. So she wanted to make sure she could hear every word that we were saying. Nosy little thing, but anyways. <laughs> the father and the son went fishing one day. They were out in the boat. The boy suddenly became curious about the world around him. So he asked his dad, he said, Dad, how does the boat float? His dad said, son, I don't rightly know. Well, the next question was a little bit later. The boy looked at his father and they said, how do fish breathe underwater? And once again, the father said, son, I I don't rightly know. A little later, the boy asked his dad, why is the sky blue? And the father replied, I don't rightly know, son. Finally, the boy said to his dad, dad, do you mind me asking you all these questions? And the father said, of course not. If you don't ask questions, you'll never learn anything. Oh, boy. We all ask questions at times, don't we? Um, Sometimes some of our inquiries are are questions to God. Sometimes we question God as to why he does what he does. I'm going to preach this morning, if God's so good, why do I suffer so badly? That's the Achilles heel of Christianity, according to Lee Strobel. He said, that's the question that gets more people than any other other question. Some time ago, George Barna polled adults. He said, if you could ask God one question, what would you ask? And the top response was, why is there pain and suffering in the world? Isn't that amazing? I think I got a picture up there. Uh, how many know who Billy Graham is? Okay. The guy on the other side is a guy named George Templeton. Uh, Templeton was a colleague. In fact, his name was Charles. I apologize. But he was an evangelist at the same time. They worked for Youth for Christ. How many have ever heard of that? You've got to be old to know what Youth for Christ is because that's back in my day when I was a kid. But both of them preached in the 40s for Youth for Christ. And they were both incredible speakers. Both of them had great ministries. They were both very popular. They were leading evangelistic crusades all over Europe. Many went so far to predict that Templeton would one day eclipse Billy Graham in the pulpit. He was that good. And then in the late 40s, Templeton began to doubt his faith. He saw a picture of a An African lady holding a starving baby and he said that's what bothers me how could God be good if he would allow that child to starve to death basically he turned his back on God basically he went the way of the world I thought it interesting he wrote many books became a commentary Commentator on television. One of the guys from Christianity Today went to interview him when he was very old. He was now dying of cancer. And he asked him questions about the past and asked him about why he turned his back on God. And he said Charles Timbleton became very nostalgic. And as he began to talk, he said he began to wipe some tears. And finally, He made this statement. He said, I sure miss Jesus. Then he kind of shook himself and he said, that's enough of that. Let's talk about something else. As far as we know, he walked away from the faith. Trying to understand suffering in the world, I think, is one of the hardest questions That we ever face as Christians. Why do certain things happen? Why does it seem like there are times. God how could you be fair. And allow that to take place. The psalmist said my foot almost slipped. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I'm sure that all of us have been there. You have your Bibles, let's stand. Let's read Psalm chapter 10, verse one. I want you to read this with me. And if you can't stand, I sure understand it, all right? Look what it says in verse one. It says, why standest thou afar off? You got it? You ready to read it with me now? All right, let's read it together. You ready? Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Be seated. You ever felt like God hid himself when you needed him the most? You ever felt like God was hard to find when you wanted to find him worse than anything in the whole world? Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 2 says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Lord, how long are you going to make me cry out for help? And it seems like you don't hear a word. Well, the great question would be, why do things happen like that? What's the reason for bad things? Well, let me give you a couple of them real quick. First of all, moral evil has been unleashed. In order to understand this, we need to kind of go back to the early part of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. Where the Bible says in verse 26, let us make man in our image and after our own likeness. And so God creates Adam and Eve and God gives them the ability to make choices. He doesn't make them a robot. He gives them the freedom of volition. They can choose whatever they want. As you read along, the Bible says that God looks at the world, verse 31, and the scripture says, and and God saw everything that he made, and it was very good. God didn't create evil. God created the possibility of evil. You see, the reason is God created human beings, and he gave us a free will. We have a meaningful choice to make. And man can choose to do right or man can choose to do wrong. And that's the choice he gave Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, it says, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you may eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Literally, the Hebrew reads there, dying you shall die. We all know the story. They choose to defy God. They choose to go against God's standards. And Adam and Eve do the very thing that God prohibited them from doing. They ate of the tree. Well, the Bible says, Romans chapter 3, it's written, there's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that... Understands, There's none that seeks after God. They've all gone out of the way. And together they become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You see, God gave us all a choice. And unfortunately, we all choose the wrong things. And because of that, I believe that moral evil has been unleashed. But let me add a second thing. The earth now is the environment of disease and death. I believe before Adam and Eve sinned, the world was perfect. God said it was very good. If you go back to those days, until they rebelled against God, there weren't earthquakes. There weren't hurricanes. There weren't tropical storms named Barry. You see, the bottom line is genital disorders, multiple diseases, pain, death, suffering, all of that's a human experience that's taken place in the world in which we live. The Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 17, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. God says, because of that, from now on, you're going to experience pain. When you read the scriptures, Romans 8 and 22 says it this way. We all know that the whole creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, we live in a world that groans under the curse of sin. It wasn't that day until Adam and Eve messed it all up. You heard the story about the young man that came to his daddy and said, Daddy, we were out walking, me and my brother, and we came up on this big, tall garden, and and I climbed up over the wall, and I looked in, and it was beautiful. It was incredible. Why can't we live there? His dad said, Son, that's where we used to live until your mother ate us out of house and home. (laughs) Come on, that's a better joke than what you're giving credit there. Romans 5, some of you go, it's still funny. Romans 5, 12 says it this way, wherefore us by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. Into... So death is passed upon all men for all have sinned. Well, I believe the way the world is today, moral evil has been unleashed. The earth is now an environment of death and disease. But let me add this, the third thing, Satan influences people to do evil. I love Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and as he looks at them that day in John chapter 8, he says it this way in verse 44, you are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own because he's a liar and he's the father of it. By the way, I think we live in a world where Satan is unleashed and I believe that Satan loves to see this world just squirm. And he does. But let me add the fourth reason. God sovereignly weaves his way and his will through suffering. God is good even when bad things happen. Amen. I love that verse, Romans chapter number eight, verse twenty-eight. We know that all things, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, <laughs> to those that are called according to his purpose. I believe that's a true verse. Amen. God can take things in category bad, and with his sovereign will and way, he can turn things into good Amen. because he's that powerful. Now you say, Pastor, what's your problem? I'll tell you what my problem is. As Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 and verse 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I don't think like God. I don't act like God. And I have a hard time figuring God out sometimes. And all God's people say, yeah, that's where we're at. Now, if you want to talk about a guy that had a hard time figuring God out, that was a guy named Job. Job was an interesting character in the Bible. He was a contemporary of a guy named Abraham. He actually lived before Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. But Job's back there by the Psalms because it's Hebrew poetry. So, it's in that section with the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And so, uh, many times we skip over Job because, uh, you know, he's just, what's a weird book? Well, let me just try to help you. Where is Job when it hurts? Probably the most vivid example of suffering in all the literature is found right here in the Bible. And it was a guy whose name was Job, and the Bible said he loved Job. Righteousness. He loved the things of God, and he hated evil. He was one of the richest men of the East. And God has a contest with Satan. Boy, that's a weird contest, isn't it? And the contest says basically this. Why does Job love you, God? Is it because you're so good to him? Is it because all the material things you bless him with Or does he really love you from his heart? God says, I'll bet you he loves me from his heart. Satan says, it's a bet. And God says, now wait a minute, Satan. You can't go over there and kill him. You can afflict him. But you can't kill him. Well, when you read the response, Job goes through horrible things. His family dies. His riches are gone. I I love the first chapter of Job because when you read it, it reads something like this, literally. In the Hebrew, it reads like this. While he was yet talking. While he was yet talking. While he was yet. It it seems like Job is getting bad news in this. One person after another, one after another, coming in with one horrible thing that's happened to him. By the time he's done, his wife says, curse God and die. Now, I love Job's response. I'm not man enough to use it. Job looks at his wife and he says, thou speakest as a foolish woman speaks. I've always thought that was a great return. It's just I like living, so I've never said that to my wife. Come on, ladies, that was funny. (laughs) But Job's filled with questions. God, why? Come on, do you ever have anything ever happen in your life where you just kind of said, Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing? Bible says in Job chapter number six, verse 11, what's my strength that I should hope? Lord, my life is so horrible now, I don't even have any hope left. You ever felt like that? Job chapter seven, verse 20. Why hast thou set me as a mark against thee and a burden to myself? He said, God, you've put a target on my back. It seems like everywhere I go, you're shooting arrows at me. You ever felt like that? Job chapter 40 and 42, Job chapter 38 and 39. Finally, he comes face-to-face with God, and he says, God, we need to talk. Well, let's look at that. Let's look at chapter 38. So take your Bible and turn back to Job 38. You're not too far. Job 38, you're in in Psalm chapter 10, right? 38, let's look over there. Let's look at 38. Now, I got a buzz in my sermon this morning, so you got to follow and listen carefully and quickly. All right, and hopefully I won't get off track too long on any one point because I got too many points. First of all, he's gonna take Job and he's gonna talk about God being the God of nature. Let's look at verse one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. God finally speaks. Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? And God finally talks. And he said, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? You know this passage basically it says, "Why are you using your ignorance to deny my providence?" You say, Pastor, what is God basically saying to Job? Job, you're not smart enough to question me. And guess what? I'm not either. And guess what? Neither are you. And God's going to prove it to him. He says, all right, gird up the loins like a man. Verse 3. I've always wondered what that meant in the Bible. Gird up your loins. Well, first of all, that's none of your business. Certain things, that are, you know what I mean? Come on, smile at least one time today at church. Man, you're playing tough on me today. You know what this basically is talking about? Girding up your loins is an old ancient saying. They used to do, uh, they put ropes around them, they put belts around them, and and they used to have wrestling matches where, and they still do go home and look it up on YouTube. They get down there and they kind of squat and they reach up and they grab each other by the belt. Now in Japan, sumo wrestling, I didn't want to show any of that on TV, up there because that might embarrass some of you. It's nothing worse than looking at a 400-pound man's backside. But anyways, <laughs> that's, that goes back to that. And they grab each other by the belt and girding up your loins, is they're, they're wrestling around, and, and their deal is to try to flip them over on their back. God says to Job, all right, buddy, you want to go for it? Let's go for it. Gird up your belt. Get ready to go, baby. It's WWF. I threw that part in. But for some of you, that's the first thing you've heard in my whole sermon. God says, all right, we're going to have a wrestling match, and we're going to go for it. We're going to see what's up. And the Bible says, with questions God's going to ask him, he says, all right, let's talk about creation. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You say, Pastor, what is he talking about? He's going to use creating the world. He's going to liken it to putting the foundations for building a house. Laying the house out. You know, I, I live in a neighborhood where they're building houses right now. And you see them out there. The first thing they do is they get that little thing they spy through. And the guys got the deal and they're checking measurements. And they're spraying stuff on the ground. And then they start pounding stakes in. And in a couple of days, a couple of guys come back and, Man, first thing they do is they dig footers and they fill it up with concrete. And then, man, it's not very long, some guys come with brickle blocks and they start building and then they get it all level and then sooner or later, here comes the construction crew and they lay it out and they put the floor in and then oh, here comes the walls and then there's the roof and then the guys come in and put off the roof siding and they put in the windows and the doors and they fix the outside and then the guys come in and put the bricks on. Whew. You say, Pastor, what do you get all excited about? That's what God's asking him. Where were you when I started building this project? If you think you're so smart, tell me about the foundations of the earth. Job scratches his beard. I'll pass. He moves on. Look in chapters 38 and 39. Drop down about, oh, look at uh, verse 31. Let's see what he says over there in verse 31. He says, in 31, he says, uh, Can you bind the great, the sweet influence of Pleiades and, and loose the bounds of, of Orion? God says, Where were you when I put the constellations in? The stars. What did you, tell me what you know about that, Job. You say, Pastor, what's God doing? God's basically saying, Job, you're not smart enough to give the answer if you can't answer these questions. And so God's going to ask him a series of 60 different questions. And at the end of all these questions, Job says, I give up. I don't have the answer. And God says, why should I explain to you what I'm doing if you can't answer these basic questions? How many get what's going on here? Look at Job's response. Look, if you were go over to chapter number 40, um, uh, let's look at his first response. Look at 40 and verse number 2. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm vile. You know what that means? I'm insignificant. You know what that means? Here's the Phil Martin Amplified I'm worthless. When's the last time you were that honest with God? He says, what shall I answer thee? I lay my hand upon my mouth. God comes in verse seven. He does it again. All right, Job, gird up your loins. I got you on your back the first time. I'm going to put you down on your back the second time. Let's go wrestle again. And God begins to start talking to him again. And now he's going to talk about the nature of God. Let's kind of run down through here. He says, who has an arm like God, verse nine, that you can make thunder with a voice like him? When you run down through here, he says, in verse number 15, by the way, I want you to underline this in your Bible because some of you are gonna ask, where did dinosaurs come from? They were alive in Job's day. Amen. Look if you would at verse number 15, behold, now behemoth, you say, pastor, what do you think behemoth was? A dinosaur. When did the dinosaurs die? They obviously didn't get on the ark. They drowned. That's the right answer, by the way. Behemoth was made with thee, and he eats grass like an ox, and he goes all the way down and begins to describe what looks to me like a dinosaur. And then when you get down to about verse number Uh, 22, the shady trees cover him with the shadows and he drinks upon the river and he hasteth not. And the Bible talks about he drew up the Jordan with his mouth. He takes it with his eyes. I think it was the shape of a huge crocodile under the water. And basically he asked him, he says, when's the last time you put a lasso around his mouth and you rustled him to the ground? Job says, "Eh, can't do that. Can't do that. God brings up a unicorn. Look, you think there were unicorns? No, I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think that's a King James word. He says, canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook or tongue and put a cord around his mouth? Say, Pastor, what do you think's going on there? I think once again, we're talking about another dinosaur. Isn't that amazing? God basically says, all right, I want to ask you some questions Not about my nature. What about the God of nature? What about how God made the animal kingdom? Begins to ask him question after question after question after question. Well, let me show you one. Look, if you would. uh, Let's go back here. Let me look and see. Um, I've lost my page here. He basically says, what about the birthing of with babies you know what I saw yesterday I was out visiting and I was over there in Hendersonville right there by 386 bypass I was going to go see brother Craig and I got off there and there was a a mama deer a doe with two little bitty fawns with the spots and they were at that apartment complex getting a drink out of that pool God says, uh, what do you know about does giving birth to fawns? And the answer is nothing. God says, hey, big boy, how do you expect me to explain anything to you? You'll never get it anyways. Job's second response is found in 42. Let's drop down there. I've got to get through this real quick. Look what it says, 42. 42. The Bible says, Job answers the Lord, verse one number one, and he says, I know that thou canst do everything and thou thought that you withhold it from thee and he that hides counsel without knowledge, therefore have I uttered and understand not things that are too wonderful for me that I didn't know, that I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak and I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me, I have heard of thee by the hearing of my ear. Now my eye sees you. Here, let me let me kind of film art and amplify that for you. Here's what Job said. You wanna know what I learned from suffering? You wanna know what I really got out of this whole horrible experience of, of losing my kids, of losing my wealth, of having all my servants stolen, and, and sitting here in an ash heap with boils from the top of my head to the bottom? You wanna know what I really learned? God, it's not what I just read about you. Now I actually know who you are because of what I've gone through. Now it's not just what I've heard with my ears. I've actually had an experience with you. You say, Pastor, why does God let us suffer sometimes? Will you listen to me? Because for some of us, that's the only way we'll ever get to know him. Are you listening to me? So let me end my sermon by saying, some of you said, seriously, he's ending a sermon? No, that's just introducing the part that I'm going to end with. (laughs) What do we learn from suffering? What are the benefits of hard times? By the way, there are benefits from hard times. Let me give you four of them. First of all, hard times Stretch us. The Bible says in James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you can be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 5. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. I'd never know character, hope, and perseverance if it wasn't for hard times. Amen. Yeah. You listening to me? How exactly does suffering benefit me? Sometimes it drives you on to do your best. You know the world's filled with a lot of average people. Come on, smile at me. Most people that live in this planet Earth are very average. Well, it's about time you face reality. But I'm going to be really honest with you. You'd be surprised. Sometimes suffering comes along and suffering makes people excel. I was reading this not too long ago about golf. Remy, you'll like this. When they first started playing golf, they had a ball that looked like a ping pong ball, and it was hard, and it didn't have any of those little dimples. And so they'd get out there, and they'd whack away at the ball, and they'd whack away at the ball, and they noticed the more you whacked away at the ball, and the rougher the outside got, the farther the ball went. And finally said, man, hard knocks makes the ball go farther. And so they started putting dimples in the golf ball because they found out that they flew further and straighter and that you could control them more. All because of hard knocks. You say, Pastor, why does God allow trials to come in my life? He wants you to fly further. And can I add straighter? You listening to me? History is filled with examples of people that had horrible things happen in their life that changed them. One writer says it this way, Cruple a man, he becomes Sir Walter Scott. Lock him in a prison, he becomes John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you get a George Washington. Raise him in abject poverty and the result is an Abraham Lincoln. Burn him so severely in a schoolhouse fire that doctors say he'll never walk again. And you have Glenn Cunningham who set the world's record in 1934 for running a mile in four minutes and 6.7 seconds. You deafen a, a, a genius composer and you get Ludwig Beethoven and you call him a slow learner. You write him off as somebody that can't be taught. You have Albert Einstein. Amen. Sometimes God allows us because it stretches us. Hard times sometimes equip us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says, The God of all comfort comforts us in our affliction, so that we might be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort wherewithby we've been comforted by God. Listen, folks, I know for a fact one of the changing events of my life with my wife was when she had breast cancer, and I cannot tell you the amount of times she has ministered to people and talked to people. She's never met on the phone that somehow somebody gave her her number and said, call this lady, she can help you. Sometimes God comforts us so that we can comfort somebody in the same affliction. God says, hey, I want to stretch you. But then God says, hey, I want to equip you. Third thing God does sometimes, hard times teach us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their pleasure, but he for our profit, that he might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous nevertheless. Afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. You say, Pastor, what is he saying in, those, in that passage? God wants us to teach us so God lets us suffer. Amen. You see, the only thing that brings some people to their knees is a crisis. Now, I know some of you think this is going to sound horrible, but I've been your pastor for a long time. And there's some of you, I've prayed that God would give you a crisis. It's amazing how many times God answers that prayer. Lord, they need something only you can teach them in a crisis. Give them one. It's amazing what God can do. You say, Pastor, you shouldn't be that way. Well, go back and study the shepherds in the Old Testament. Sometimes the sheep would run off until finally the shepherd would go and break their knees or break their legs. And then he'd put them around their neck and he'd carry them for a while until the sheep wouldn't leave his side. Listen to me. That's what a good shepherd does. You know, some of us, we only learn when we're in a pickle. We only learn when our back's up against the wall. We only learn when every escape route is closed. We only learn when the only one we have to turn to is God. And so here, hard times sometimes come to us because our Heavenly Father says, there's something I want you to learn. There's something you need to be taught. And the only way is to let you suffer a while. I read a story this week in Guidepost about a man named Brian Wolfe. Brian took his two-year-old daughter out for a ride one day in the forest. They were in the Pacific Northwest, and they drove about 14 miles from his home. They turned off the main highway. They followed a dirt road until they shifted into four-wheel drive, and they got way back in the forest until they were in a remote spot deep in the woods where there was a beaver pond. And his thought was, my little girl's never seen beavers do their thing. So he took his little girl down to the water and she had a stick and she was banging her stick in the water trying to get the beaver to come and they watched. Finally picked his little girl up, put her back in the back of the Jeep, put her in a car seat. He had a rifle with him that he wanted to shoot so he put some cans up on an old stump put the first round in the chamber the can went flying shot the next can it went flying he laid the gun down on the hood of the jeep and he walked over there to the stump because he wanted to see where they were shot to see if he was sighted in good with his rifle and When he got over there to that stump, he kind of looked around. He couldn't find it. And it kind of looked like the cans had fallen down inside the stump. So he got kind of up on the stump. And before he knew what was going on, it gave way. It was rotted. And in the process, he did a flip. And he went down with one arm around his neck and one arm around his side, face down into that stump. And the only thing that was left was those feet. The problem was he was squeezed in there. He got down in that stump and he couldn't get out. He couldn't get leverage with his hands because he only had one and it was pinned to his side upside down. And he couldn't get his arm down from around his neck. And so he was stuck upside down with only his feet hanging out. There's only one thing he could do. So he started to pray. And he got earnest about it. He said, dear God, he said, "the blood's rushing to my head. I feel like my head's going to explode. And he said, Lord, I'm getting nauseous. And about that time, he... Expelled all the contents in his stomach, and there he's upside down in his own vomit inside that stump. And he begins to cry out to God. And I mean, he's getting serious now. Dear God, I'm stuck, and if you don't do something, I'm gonna die here. And what's gonna happen to my little girl? It seemed like an eternity, and finally, he heard voices. And two loggers found him and they pulled him up by his legs, stood him on the ground. It took a while for the blood to get down to where he could actually kind of, you know, communicate and do what he needed to do. And they began to talk and they said, we had the strangest sensation come over. Something inside of our head said, you need to go down by the old beaver pond. And the man thought, God heard my prayer. By the way, he was a changed man. He went to the library. He checked out a Bible. He began to read the Bible. He drove by a church, happened to be a Baptist church. Not that that made it any better, but just happened to be a Baptist church. Went to that church, and the second Sunday he went, he got saved. And his whole life changed. You say, Pastor, what is it that God's doing in my life? Sometimes God says, I'm going to stick you upside down in a stump where you can't move. Until you cry out to me. Because I can't seem to get your attention any other way. And all God's people said, don't you turkey out on me. You know I'm telling you the truth. God will get your attention. I promise you he will. You see, sometimes trials come because God says, I want to I teach you something. I, I want to equip you in some way. God says, I want to stretch you. But Quickly, let me add the last one. God says, sometimes hard times is the only way I can reach you. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pain. Boy, is there truth in that. God has a megaphone for a deaf world. And that megaphone is pain, folks. I'm not claiming that I understand it all this morning. I sure don't. I'm like Job. I'm vain. I'm worthless. I'm nothing, God. I don't understand what you're doing. But if you want to look this morning at the greatest example of why a God that loves us with all of his heart could allow suffering in this world, you look to the cross. The cross is the perfect example, folks. The cross is where Jesus Christ, God's only son, was sent to this world that spit on him and pulled his beard out and lashed him with a whip Nailed his hands and his feet. Randy Acorn writes it this way When I'm tempted to ask God, why did you do this to me? I look at the cross and I ask, why did you do this for me? You answer that question. Why would God ever send his son for me? Amen. I don't know. The only question I can answer is this. God did it for me, and I'm grateful. If you're here today and you're facing trials and tribulations... Without Jesus Christ. I don't know how you do it. I really don't. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, ask him to forgive you of your sins. You come to Jesus Christ this morning. You trust him with your life. And I promise you this. Trials will begin to make more sense in your life when you know Christ is your savior. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heavenly Father, speak to us this morning. Lord, when I look at this passage this morning and stop to think about what you've done in my life and how you've worked in incredible ways, I'm amazed, totally amazed. the thing I'm most amazed about this morning is, Lord, why would you send Jesus to die on the cross for me? I have no idea, but I'm grateful for it.